Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And Smetty here. Jess was one of the celebrities. It's not a competition, Mike. Welcome back to our 500th episode of Golik and Smetty. I'm just kidding. I just want to see who was listening and may have been shocked to hear that we've done. <laughs> I was like, wow, I knew we've done a lot, but I didn't realize <laughs> it was that many. Good for us. Uh, it is. Uh, it is not. It just seems like that, right, Jess? <laughs> yeah. Well, talking to you. Oh, see that? Just that's kidding. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm just nice. kidding. I am Mike Golick Sr. She is Jess Matana, uh, also known as Smetty. And uh, a, a ton, certainly, to talk about uh, after our get-together last week at our first Golick Foundation golf tournament where you bested me on the one hole, that we made quick, quick comment back on that, that you just told me off air that you had made me chocolate chip cookies because we're going to get into your baking mm-hmm. and what your specialty is for a July 4th. And you made me chocolate chip cookies, which I ate and then saved for the next morning and ate for breakfast. You gave me some information about them that I did not know. Yes, uh, the cookies were gluten-free, Mike. I, I And I don't know what gluten-free means. <laughs> and I don't know if it affects the taste because they were great. So what is gluten-free? I'm sorry. I'm not of that world. I'm not of gluten-free. I, I don't do vegan. I don't do anything. I just eat. And I don't know if it affects the taste of food. Cause that's the first thing I think about when you talk about different ways to prepare food, how does it uh-huh. affect the taste? Well, I, it depends. It totally depends on what you're making. Uh, for cookies, I don't think it really affects the taste very much. I just use like a rice flour blend and I put so much um, sugar and chocolate and uh, those cookies actually had tahini in it too. I don't know if you could taste the smoky. I don't know what tahini is. Okay, so tahini is like peanut butter, but it's made out of sesame seeds. So those cookies had so much flavor in them and the, I think the texture was good. Gluten really affects the texture more than anything, Mike. This weekend, 4th of July weekend, I made a gluten-free peach cobbler and oh my God, it was so good. I was in a house with two people who have celiac and they don't eat gluten. So all gluten-free flour, the peaches were perfectly ripe. They were like, I cooked them down into like almost like a peach soup before I put them in the, it was just like, oh, it was so good. So when the peach cobbler, I have to have it with ice cream and whipped cream. Yes. Yes. So was, was that, was that done? Vanilla, vanilla ice cream. Yeah. Yes. Vanilla ice so, cream. Mike, yeah. actually, I'm curious. I was going to ask your opinion on, on cobblers because there's, there's, you know, a lot of disagreement about yeah. the topping of the cobbler. Some yeah. people prefer more of like a bready topping. Some people prefer more of like a biscuit topping. Yeah. And then some cobblers are more of just like cakes. I don't even know if those technically count as cobblers, but what is your favorite cobbler topping? I like a, like a crumble type of a topping type oh, deal. Okay. Yes, okay. yes. Big fan you like of more that. of like a crisper, a crumble yes. than a cobbler. Yes, yes, yes. I, I like that. Listen, I'll go either way, but if you give me a choice, I'd probably go down that road. Um, so that, that sounds just awesome, but yeah, I have to have ice cream and whipped cream on top. One last question on the cookies Mm -hmm. that you, you, you baked these cookies for me, correct? Yes, correct. What made you make them (laughs) gluten-free? Um, I, well, I had gluten-free flour at my, I was at my parents' house that weekend. So I just whipped them up and they were, I think they tasted great. You didn't notice. No. Gojo didn't notice. My dad didn't notice. Everyone ate the cookies and had a good time. We, we, it's because of the, the, the speed of which we eat them. 
we may have not time to taste anything <laughs> different than them. Yeah. yeah, we ate a lot, like I said, that we put them in the fridge and nothing like cold dessert in the morning, whether it's mm. cake, cookies, cobbler. whatever. Cobbler, cobbler is great for dessert. Absolutely right. We well, always it is start, cobbler season, Mike. So it is. It is. We always start these off with my with my mouth watering. So, but I always like to uh, <laughs> to talk about your baking because I still can't wait for us to be together and do a show while you're baking something. So, from the <clears throat> real quick, were, were you a big Fourth of July fireworks person growing up and or into adulthood? Now, where you shot them off and you no, got them and all that? I, no, fireworks scare me. I think when I was little, my dad had like a, a near accident with a firework. Like a spark went underneath his his ring and it like burned him. And that right. always freaked me out when I was little. So I'll, I'll like touch a spark, like I'll hold the sparkler and I'll do like the ones where you throw them on the ground and they just make a popping noise. Right, right. But we were not, and, and certainly Mike in Illinois, fireworks are illegal right. and growing up, you know, we didn't really get like the big fireworks that, and it wasn't until I was older and like lived in Indiana and then like South Carolina where I realized like some States you can just go to the store and get like yes. the big fireworks. Yeah, I lived a very sheltered life in Illinois where we did not have that in our neighborhood. Well, in Connecticut, where I spent a lot of the, the, the kids grew up and we spent a lot of years, obviously, when I was at the ESPN, they're illegal, but that that didn't stop us. Um, right. You can't let a it little stop me. I was I was always scared. Yeah, of getting you can't in let trouble. something like illegal stop you at times. And, and fireworks <laughs> was one of the things we my brother, Greg, actually. Let me throw him under the bus. He would get them from Tennessee or somewhere. Huh. So illegally crossing state lines, the whole thing. I mean, we would get these fireworks and go to our friend's house, the Perianos, uh, around Ju uh, on July 4th. They'd have a, a cookout. And Jess, our firework display was almost on par with the town display. <laughs> I mean, it was, and they lived up like elevated just a little bit. So we would have all the neighbors would end up sitting outside watching our display. And I swear to you, every year and every time we started lighting them off into the sky, me and, and, and Mike Periano, the, the father of, of the Perianos and, and the people we go to, would always look at each other like, we're going to get arrested this year. There, there is no doubt the cops are going to come driving up this driveway because these are too big and too spectacular to not have somebody have call and say, these people are firing off illegal fireworks. Maybe they were enjoying it so much and didn't call because we never got nailed. And I can't believe we never got nailed because these were some of the best backyard fireworks I've ever seen. Do you still put off any fireworks at your, your house now? No, we, we don't. Once we stopped going there, you know, we don't have the house in Connecticut anymore, so we yeah. don't really have that get-together anymore. So there was a decent amount of people then. So now we don't don't really do it. And the one thing now is we have the dogs at the house. Like, we'd be at the Periano, so our dogs would be back at our house. Now it's like we were here, you know, in Indiana at our house here. And firework night, July 4th, and even, even the days preceding that as well, do it's horrible for dogs. Yeah. Horrible. Dogs, and you feel so bad. So you're just trying to turn the, we're turning the TV up louder so they, they can't hear it as much. And uh, so now I've gone from let's shoot them off to with these damn people stop shooting off these fireworks. They're scaring my dogs. Aw, <laughs> you're going to get off my long guy now. Yeah, now with the fireworks, because, you know, if it, if it affects my dog, it affects no, me. No, yes, I agree with you. I, I'm not a firework person so much, but I am a eat dessert, grill some yeah. sort of sausage-shaped thing. There you go. Maybe a hamburger. Yeah. Uh, you know, 4th of July themed uh, baked goods. I'm all in for that. So we so. all ate well. We all drank well. Hopefully every uh, uh, everybody uh, enjoyed themselves as much as they could. As we, The sporting world, though, never stops, as we know. And the big thing going on right now, Jess, is, is as we see it every year, we see the money going around in the NBA. It's just amazing. The cap went up to, like, what, $123 million for a 15-person roster at a sport that makes over $10 billion. Some of the deals, Bradley Beal, $251 million. Devin Booker, $221. John Moran, $226. Nikolai Jokic, Jokic signed the, the, the biggest deal ever, five years, $264 million. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, $224. Zion Williamson, who has been hurt, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we see the potential there. He signs a five-year, $193 million deal. 
And it, it is just amazing the amount of money floating around in the NBA and all that. And it's not even the biggest story. It's still Kevin Durant. Right. Of course. Kevin Durant owns 4th of July weekend. Yes, he does. Like I, whenever, whenever I think of our nation's birthday, I just think about Kevin Durant now because there's always something going on with him. So I don't know, Mike, where, where do you think he will end up in after free agency? And, and, and for those wondering why she was saying 4th of July, it was years ago on 4th of July when he decided he was going to Golden State. Yeah. Uh, with the Golden State Which, Warriors in the Hamptons, right? Wasn't he in the Hamptons? I, yes. I and, every, and everybody was like coming to him. He was like sitting on a throne and everybody was coming to him and giving him their <laughs> gifts and say, please come to our team. And, and I, I say that because it's fun for basketball fans to be like, oh, wow, like news on the weekend. I'm with all my friends and family. We can talk about Kevin Durant. But if you work in sports media, what happens is like everyone who works for any like media website or runs like a social media team or has to, you know, do podcasts or whatever, they all end up working on the 4th of July. So, you know, some people do resent Kevin Durant for that, but I don't think, you know, people who talk about sports for a living, it's, it's also not a, a terrible job. So no, no, it's not. It's not. And you Can't get content for them. No, no, you really can't. <laughs> as far as the teams, you know, on DraftKings, you look at some of the odds there. The top team at minus 125 is the Phoenix Suns. The Raptors, which gets talked about more and more, Jess, are plus 250. And the third team is staying with the Nets at plus 700. Hmm. Because everybody is expecting Durant to go and then Kyrie to go, maybe to go back up. Uh, with LeBron, with the Lakers. We'll wait and see on that. But while the Suns are the favorite, it seems the Raptors have been getting some, you know, some some love in this, and maybe you might end up their way. Are, are you of the Stugatz uh, realm that Kevin Durant really hasn't done anything yet because he hasn't won a championship kind of on his own? But nobody wins a championship on their own anymore. Yeah, he no. went, and won, went and won two with Golden State and was the MVP both yeah. times. But there, and, and Stugatz isn't the only one. There are others that don't give him credit until because he's just kind of jumping from team to team and everybody was ready to give him credit in Brooklyn. That could have been one of the most underachieving put-together teams of all time with <laughs> no. Kyrie, with Harden, and Durant. Because they still wouldn't, he still wouldn't have gotten credit if they won a championship there because he also wasn't, quote-unquote, doing it on his own. Like, no matter what, I think there are people who are going to not give Kevin Durant credit, even though... To me, he's one of the best basketball players that I've ever seen play. Yes, yes. Um, but no, Stu Gatz and I do do differ in our opinions there. I, I give him one, and I, I think he's a great player. So whoever he ends up with is going to have an instantly better team. So, so I, I and no doubt about it, wherever he goes, they're going to be a, a, a favorite. But so say he ends up in Phoenix. Now, depending on who Phoenix has to give up, because we're going to talk mm-hmm. about another trade where a ton was given up. I mean, you have you have Aiton, you have Devin Booker, who is a superstar. You have Chris Paul certainly coming to the end of his career. Now, would they all stay there? I'm certain the Suns would like to keep them all because uh, they, they would instant, I would think, almost be the favorite if they kept those guys right out of the gate and added Kevin Durant. That's what you wonder. Is Kevin Durant ever going to get his due? Because wherever he goes, you know, m- save maybe the Raptors, there's going to be a couple of other, you know, superstars that he's playing with as mm-hmm. well. Well, there's just a lot of superstars in the NBA, I guess. <laughs> Why wouldn't you go somewhere where you have the best chance to win a championship? I think yeah. anyone, anyone would do that. Well, anyone would do that now. That's where the, all the old-timers say they wouldn't do it back then. Bird would never leave Boston and team up. Now, listen, Bird also played with other great Hall of Famers as well. You know, right, that, and so that, did Michael Jordan. Yeah, Michael had, Jordan would leave. Kobe, best... wouldn't, you know, Kobe wouldn't leave, You know, even though he right. did that whole public thing about trading to Chicago, but, you know, stays obviously in L.A. They they all played with other stars, and they all won with other stars, right? Even though even though for Kobe, you know, when, when he broke up from Shaq because he wanted to win one or some on his own, he actually did. You know, I think Paul Gasol was, was the, the, the his main main guy then. Um, so I, I think that's it, is that that's what a lot of the old-timers – you know, are getting and, and you see timers. You, well, you see it now. You see Durant and 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 Charles Barkley going at it a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, you know Kyrie now and Stephen A. are going at it a little bit. It's uh, it gets pretty wild. Um, what's happening? But I I do just try not to be 
one of those old guys on the porch where Shaq even said, <laughs> you know, about how does a guy like, you know, was it, what was it, Rudy Gobert get all that money, mm-hmm. you know, that, that he got? Or I, I think it was Rudy. might have been one other player. I could be wrong on that, but I think it was. You know, how does he get all that money? That, that's just the way it is. I, I will never, never be mad at the times where players get all that money. Will I be a little jealous? Sure. I would have liked to have made that money, but I will never say, oh, this guy doesn't deserve that money or these players don't deserve that money. That's bullshit, man. Hold on, Mike. I think we have some breaking news during Uh our recording. This will be old news by the time that that, uh, people listen to this, but the Panthers are acquiring Baker Mayfield from the Browns for a 2024 conditional fifth round draft pick. Sources tell Rapsheet and Tom Pelissero. Oh my God. Okay. This is wild. So this is a new world <laughs> for me, Jess, because and I don't even know how to deal with it. Cause I'm used to doing six to 10 in the morning live. So when we had breaking news, it was breaking news live. You right. are now breaking news as it's happening, but and it's no not one, really live. Nobody will be here. No, you'll be hearing <laughs> this until this is like a day old. So this is really weird to me. What, what, what are the terms again? It said for a 2024 conditional fifth round draft pick. And the Browns are playing the Panthers week one. Well, what's going to be interesting is going to be, um, is, is, you know, is he going to be handed the starting job? Is Sam Darnold going to be, is it going to be an open competition? Because these are both guys that are playing, if memory serves, playing on their, on their fifth year option. I think Darnold mm-hmm. is like 20 million and Baker's is like almost 19 million. So right around the same. Uh, we were wondering when, when this was going to happen and we were wondering what it was going to take and who the, the cat and mouse game between now. Now reports had come out that Seattle was never really interested. Mm-hmm. They're going with Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Blessings to you on that. Interesting. One. <laughs> yeah. But can we say rebuild? Because that's what you're doing. And in Carolina, I never thought the future quarterback was on the roster right now either. And I still may not think that with yeah. Baker Mayfield. But, you know, you're going to get a competition there now uh, between Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. So you, so somebody finally blinked and said, okay, we have to make a move. Because I was just reading a, a report about how for the Browns, if Baker stayed on the roster and between Baker and the $45 million signing bonus Deshaun Watson got – and if they didn't play Baker Mayfield, even when Deshaun was suspended, it would be like $63, 64000000 million of quarterback not on the field for the Cleveland Browns, which right. would be unbelievable. It looks like, according to Mike Garofalo, the Browns will pay Baker $10.5 million this season, which means they trimmed over $8 million in cash and salary cap space. The Panthers will pay Mayfield five, around $5 million, and so ba- Baker agreed to trim $3.5 million off his base salary. So the big thing there, and probably why it wasn't done earlier, because from what I understand, the first offer around was the Browns saying they'd pay about $3 million. It wouldn't pay any more than $3 million. And that was going to be the big hang-up. Because, again, especially for Carolina, they're playing, paying Darnold already. So they wanted to get that number down, and they obviously did. Now only paying Baker, as you mentioned, a little over $5 million a year. So, uh, personally, I think Baker will win that starting job. And mm-hmm. I think he'll be the starting quarterback. Where that goes, I have no idea. It's a guy who's looked good at times, looked bad at times. Been hurt at times, Been too. hurt at times. That's exactly right. So he's covered the gamut. He's done it all. So wh- where is he and what his, is he? But these are both guys, both Darnold and Baker, both know they're in their fifth-year option year. This is the last year before they can hit free agency. So w- they both know, I got to play to show what I can do. So whoever loses that starting job is going to be in a tough position being a backup. Mike, this was a great exercise in me throwing breaking news at you. I think from now on in every episode, I'm just going to make something up and and see what you can do on the fly. Like you are such a pro. You just pull all these numbers and salary cap numbers out of your butt. Like I, (laughs) I would need to read at least like 10 minutes worth of prep to have some on the fly perspective on, on the quarterback battle in Carolina to deliver a take like that. That was very excellently done. So here's the difference. Your generation loves the the numbers and making sure you have the numbers and the research. My generation says bullshit with conviction. We have no <laughs> idea if my numbers are right, but I said them That's so fair. well that you believed them, right? 
So you 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 bought into what I was saying because of how with the veracity and the conviction that I said. Oh yeah, I don't I have yeah. no idea how to even fact check that. I guess I got to yeah. go on like Spork Track or whatever that. There you go. But I'm basically I'm basically right though. So I mean. No, just... I think I think you are basically right. I think. Wow. That, well, we've been waiting for <laughs> yeah. to see what was going to happen with Baker Mayfield. Obviously, we don't yet know what Deshaun Watson's suspension will be. He's uh, been accused of sexual misconduct of over 20 women there are 24 who filed civil suits 20 of them have settled four of them have not settled yet uh the hearing the disciplinary hearing with the nfl was last week it ended on thursday so it was after we were done recording last week's episode right and it sounds like we may not have an answer on what his punishment will be from the league for weeks to months this is the first time that the nfl has had this new disciplinary hearing system with as part of last the, the current CBA, the one that was just uh, agreed on last year, um, where Roger Goodell is not handing out the punishment. There's an independent arbiter who's hearing the case and who the NFL is going to make a recommendation to on what the suspension will be. The NFL has said publicly they want an indefinite suspension, uh, minimum being a year. Yeah. Obviously, the players' union is going to fight that. I don't, I don't think they're going to want you know, indefinite suspension to be a precedent that they want to set for any player. So we don't know what, when we're going to find out what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson as a football player who's going to start for the Browns this season, et cetera. But it sounds like Baker Mayfield, whether it, it was him deciding, you know, I don't, I feel slighted that they signed a new quarterback. Uh, I don't want to stick around and find out if I'm going to be playing because this guy right. that they brought in is going to be suspended or, you know, I just will take my chances somewhere else. Uh, we don't exactly know how that went down, but it sounded like the relationship between him and the Browns has been fractured since the week of the Deshaun Watson Watson signing earlier this summer. Oh, there's is that, no. Is that right? I think you're completely right. So two things: one from Baker's side, and one from the Brown side. So from Baker's side, <clears throat> Baker is an emotional guy. He wears it on his sleeve, no doubt about it. And I think he was stung, obviously, when they got to Sean Watson. So he said, screw you, I'm done with you. And then it was all coming out like, and I also think he thought he was going to be sought after more. When all of a sudden we started seeing quarterback after quarterback go to different teams and Baker wasn't one of them. Mm -hmm. When all of a sudden you're sitting at home at quiet time going, oh shit, you know, did I, did I kind of overvalue myself here because no one's coming after me? And it turns out Carolina was interested, but they were waiting till the price was right. They weren't, they weren't just going to grab you and say, we'll pay your 18 mil. They were going to wait till, like they are now from this report, only paying $5 million. So that's a bit of an ego hit as well. So he knows mm -hmm. he has to repair that and play better, as Darnold does as well. As I said, I think he will end up being the starter there. Um, and this is one where Matt Rule has to win. Matt Rule is, is without question, the first coach on the hot seat oh, yeah. as we go into the season, without question. So we'll see where that one goes. As far as the Browns, because Baker could have taken the side of, I'm not going to be ticked off. I know for a fact, we all know, Deshaun Watson is not going to play some games. I personally do not think he will play this year. I think it will be out the entire year. So Baker could have still been the starter here, a lame duck starter. But as I said, you're on the field, you're leading the team. And quite honestly, he had a better offense to lead in Cleveland than he will in Carolina. Now, he does have Christy McCaffrey, who's back from injury. Uh, but Cleveland has probably the best one-two duo punch of running backs in the, in the league with Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You picked up Amari Cooper. You paid David and Joku a lot of money. You have one of the top three offensive lines in the game, and your defense is really good. So I think he was would have – but I, I don't think his ego could have handled saying, yeah, I'm just going to kind of be the guy here until their new guy gets off a of suspension and takes over this team. I know I'm not going to be the quarterback. So I didn't think he was ever going to be able to do that. So it's going to fall on Jacoby Brissett. And Jacoby Brissett, I, I tell you, Jess, I, I'm, I don't think that's an awful thing because what you need when you have a really good running game, which they're going to have, they can have a good passing game and you have a really good defense, is you need a quarterback that doesn't make mistakes. And you look at, you look at seasons when Brissett, and again, I'm, I'm doing this off of memory a little bit, but I think every time he started double-digit games in his career, he never threw double-digit interceptions. So he wasn't a turnover guy. 
So that's what you need when you have a good running game, a good defense. You need a manageable quarterback, which is what Brissett will be, and they hate when they're called that. But that's what you need and not turn the ball over. So they could still do pretty well. We'll see. You're dealing with Cincinnati, and we'll see what a revamp uh, Pittsburgh Ravens, uh, the like. Ravens have Kyle Hamilton now on their defense. Yes, uh, they do. He'll probably be catching interceptions. Yeah, Mike, I mean, it's a, a completely unprecedented situation with what Deshaun Watson has been accused of and with the Browns giving him this massive guaranteed, uh, you know, signing this summer. And so I truly, it's it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around what's going on. And, and I don't even really know how to talk about it because, you know, we want to cover the football side of it too, but also we want to make sure that we're, you know, paying attention to the actual victims and yeah, people who yeah. are alleging the conduct against Deshaun Watson. Um, so yes, not sure what what's going to happen with him, but it does it does seem like there the ripple effect of him being signed in Cleveland, which I I certainly did not see coming, is now going to you know keep keep. Uh, rippling across the league is now Baker Mayfield will be starting in Carolina. You know, it's interesting too. You mentioned, yeah, we can't forget about the victim side of this. And I was happy to hear in the investigation by the league, they did interview some of the victims, something, you know, that, that we hadn't heard. Well, the, the Browns admitted that they didn't interview the, any which, of the Which is victims unbelievable. I mean, but, but again, they that's signed a, Watson. Yeah. And, and yeah. Mike, they also, so like, I, I, I'm not, you know, privy to the NFL's investigation. I don't know who they interviewed. We don't know which, people they talked right, to, right. What, what those people were alleging, because there's certainly like a range of misconduct that Watson's been accused of. Uh, and so we don't exactly know whose stories the NFL has heard on that side of things. Um, and we also, you know, like I said, it's it's unprecedented. This, this sort of disciplinary process has never been used before by the NFL. And I also think that it's important to note that the NFL has such a in my opinion, a bad track record with dealing with these situations that if there are women who they reached out to who didn't want to cooperate, and and I don't know if that's true, because they didn't want to have to be involved in what certain victims had called uh, victim-blaming line of questioning in Jenny Rentis' reporting last summer, then I would understand that. So... I, we really like do not know what to expect because we don't know who the NFL has talked to, what those people say happened with them and Watson. Um, all we know is that it might be weeks before we find out. So I don't know if this indicates that there's any sort of expectation from the Browns that there will or won't be a suspension. Um, but I think it certainly indicates that you know, Baker Mayfield just did not want to stick around and find out. Yeah, he did not want to. And again, uh, personally, I, I've said it. I think he's, I think Deshaun Watson will miss the year. Um, again, if they try indefinite, I, I agree with you. The union will, will appeal though. It's been interesting on some, some of these, some of these really bad situations where the union hasn't appealed and said, you know what, we're not even, we just, we just want this kind of to be done and we're not going to jump into this. So right. I'll be interested, depending on what the, what the, the punishment is of the union stepping in and appealing. So I love this, that when you listen, when, it, when this podcast is posted and you're listening to it, you're going to hear Jess talk about breaking news. Understand she had it first. She had it yes. first. Yes, well, you did. I guess well, she had it first. Well, but I then mean, I had it first, and then you had it second. You you read it first. How about Thank that? You. Yeah, I there you go. Appreciate that. Good, good well, job. Well, I think I think we officially answered the age old question of what's better: NFL free agency or NBA free agency. Yeah, I don't think it's close, right? <laughs> I don't I don't think it's it's close at all. So the NBA, we'll, we'll keep going with that. Obviously, we gave you a lot of the numbers out there, but the big question is going to be. Where is Kevin Durant uh, going to end up? As I as I said a little earlier, DraftKings, uh, you want you want some odds on that? The Suns are the favorite at minus one twenty five. Raptors next at plus two fifty, and Nets staying with the Nets at plus seven hundred. Jess, I know we're going to get into college football because the world is a, is the the seismic shift going on is, is amazing, but. I know you do that uh, with Spencer Hall. You do the uh, the F one podcast. Uh, yes. And I listen. I'm I we we've talked about how into uh, F one I'm getting as well. You had the race up in the what was it the um, British, uh, the British Grand, Grand, Grand Prix British Grand Prix. How, how very cool that that Carlos Sanz gets his first win right his 150th. This is his 150th race. Yeah. He's been on the podium before, yeah. never with a win, 
and he gets a win. So I, well, I thought that was very cool. I don't know if you saw the picture that Formula One posted after the race of Carlos Sainz's dad, who was also a, a race car driver, uh, kissing Lewis Hamilton's dad on the cheek. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then Tom Cruise was just standing yeah, right next yeah, to him. Yeah. It was so bizarre. But yeah, Mike, I don't know if you saw the whole race, but there was a massive, huge, massive crash. Scary, too. Yeah. That was the first time that I, and we, we talked about this with Gojo and Spencer on, on Sunday, but that was the first time that I really like, as a, a new fan of the sport was like, holy shit, this is really dangerous. Like I was pretty freaked out after that, but luckily uh, all the drivers that were involved in that ended up being okay. And, and they credited some of the new safety. Um, oh, the halo. I mean, the, the halo the, that yeah, goes, the halo. yeah, because the one car was sliding on its, on its, on its top. And yeah, the halo saved. So scary. Yeah, I mean that was that was horrific. But Mike, I'm also not sure if you saw this because it, the I think the the crash kind of like overshadowed it. But there were protesters who ran onto the track yes. during the first lap. And if there was, hadn't been a safety car, which means that all the drivers had to slow down, there may have been a, an even worse incident because protesters who I believe were protesting big oil ran onto the track yeah, and did. were on the track and. Oh my God! That could have been I can't horrific. think of a more terrifying place to be. Having just gone to the race in Miami, and I was on the grid for like maybe two minutes before the W Series race, it was terrifying being around those cars. It's loud. It's scary. Yeah, they go really fast. I would. I just don't understand. You know, putting putting people in danger. Ugh. Not not to mention like yourself, but also the people who work the events. Uh, and the driver oh, was like, yeah, the protesting. They believe in their freaky. cause that they're going to go do what they're going to do. I mean, I'm glad nobody got hurt Me too. Uh, there. But and, and quickly, we should mention it was the Alfa Romeo driver. And I have a horrible time. Joe Guan Yu. Thank you very much. He was the one who flipped over. It was a bat right out of the gate. Yeah, it was right. First turn, I believe. Right. And he is sliding on 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 basically would have been sliding on his head had uh, former Lacar mandated the halo in 2018. Right. That, that that absolutely saved his life. I mean, absolutely. Right. And there have been a number of there was also an F two crash earlier in the same day where um, a driver drove over top of another car, and the same safety mechanism kind of saved the the other driver. And I think you know I wasn't obviously like as big of a fan of the sport when they implemented this new safety feature, but I I remember there was some uh, you know pushback from people who were longtime fans of the sport saying that like it kind of ruins the aesthetic of the car and like they didn't want to do it and there was so much like aversion to it and it's proven time and time again yeah. to be so important and yeah. and i wonder like what you know what things are we are we not doing in football which is another really dangerous sport that seem like no-brainers that people are kind of like stuck in this is how it is and this is how we like it and, and you know we're just kind of continuing to put people at risk instead of implementing some common sense safety measures well the, the the biggest thing there jess is the helmet i mean we were from when i learned to play to people before me to people just just right after me you were learned to, you were taught to lead with your helmet and so the smart thing we're doing now is trying to take that away from the game and that's one of the reasons i'll, I'll go off you know, tangent a little bit here that I'm on the board for USA football, for youth football, in the way they're teaching tackling now. Tackling's horrible in the NFL and college. And the next, the next, or maybe the first good tackling you're going to see in a while is when this next group of little kids, which we all, anybody who played in the NFL, we all played Little League football. When this next group comes through up to the NFL, because they're learning to tackle the right way, to keep your head out of it a little more, watch rugby. I mean, these guys don't have helmets on and they tackle well because they use their arms. They keep their head off to the side. And, and Pete Carroll has made videos on this with Seattle and teaching that way. And that's what's going to happen. But we have been, we have been programmed, Jess, for years to lead with our helmet and use our helmet. It was a helmet for protection. We used it as a weapon. And so years ago when they were started to make the crossover to say we're going to take the helmet out of the game, that was toughest for the players who were in the game who had already learned to use their helmet, now they had to take it out, which is a tough thing to just say, oh, yeah, next game I just won't use my head anymore. It's just hard to do. So that's that's the best thing. Obviously, they're doing other things, less contact in practice, so you know, not, not the constant hitting all the time. But one of the main things is really taking that head and that missile 
you know, out of, out of tackling and hopefully and, they can. And like it sounds. Hold, hold on one, one sec. Go ahead. We did. We, yeah, just broke it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was going to say break there. Hold on a sec. My wife just stuck her, stuck her head in and said, Baker to the Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We should, she should bill us a, a fee for producing she's, this episode. She's always been a field producer my entire 20 some years in this business. <laughs> All so, I was going to say, as we, as we segue into college football realignment, which I think is like the story of the day yes, we want, yes. or of, of the week we want to, when you want to cover is like everything you just said about tackling and helmets it sounds like complete common sense and yet there are still people who think that it's you know soft and it's changing the nature of the game and everyone's so sensitive these days etc 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 but uh i I think you make a compelling case so we'll just ignore those people yeah we 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 need to because that's what they do well you get it you get it everywhere you get it in the old-time basketball players saying there's not enough physicality you drive the lane like that back in right. my day oh back in my ass. yeah back yeah, in my yeah, day yeah. we used to it's like okay back in your day like pregnant yeah. women smoked cigarettes and were prescribed like heroin for yeah. like you know body aches like we've science yeah. and, and knowledge has progressed so so i the one thing i will and i always say is there are some old school things that could still hold in today you know it, it's not like you completely forget some of the old school ways in today's world but it's just got to be more of a mixture. It can't be, yeah. it's got to be that way or it's got to be this way. There's room for both. You know, there's room for both as long as it can move in a positive direction, which I think, Jess, a lot of people are asking, is college football moving in a positive direction? The latest out there being UCLA and USC are going to join the Big Ten in a couple of years after we had the report last year of Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC in a couple of years. And now it seems like where we all thought this was going is now maybe going there at warp speed where we have just a couple of super conferences and the ground of college football is changing. Yeah. Well, let me, let's go back a few days. So Thursday, the news broke that UCLA and USC are joining the big 10. So what was your first reaction to that when you heard it? My first reaction was that we're, we're heading to exactly what I just said, probably two super conferences. Uh, between the SEC and uh, the Big Ten, which just, I mean, just domino effects so many things. What happens to the Pac-12, who kept changing their name as they were adding people? It used to be the Pac-8 way a long, long time ago. What happens to the Big 12? What happens to the ACC? Where, where do these um, different conferences go? And how about that alliance? How about that alliance <laughs> that we mocked, rightfully so, between the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC after the SEC was going to get Oklahoma and Texas, how they're going to work hand-in-hand. Hand. Ha! You're, as we said, you're going to work hand-in-hand hand until a deal becomes too good for one of the conferences, and they're going to say, screw you, we're out. And that's the Big, Tw- uh, the Big Ten who are now adding two Pac-12 teams. Yeah, I think all of those reactions are, are, are you know, they make sense. My reaction was like, I mean, maybe I'm just a dumbass. Was like, wow, that's a really far way to fly. If you're like the women's soccer team at UCLA, like, what what are they gonna do? Like, this is clearly, you know, because of the football conferences and because of this alleged like one billion dollar yeah. rights deal that the Big Ten's gonna get now with either Fox or Apple, whoever ends up winning this bidding war, and that just jacked up the price even more. But like. For the quote unquote student athletes in the, you know, quote unquote non revenue generating sports, like I really wonder how this is going to work just logistically. They're an afterthought because of the money, which yeah. is, which is normal. We're right. I mean, yeah. that, that's something that hasn't changed. It's not like when all these big decisions are made, they're saying, okay, how is this going to affect the lacrosse team? You know, they may want to sound like they care, but they're going to make the deal that brings in the most money and then they're going to figure out. You know how the women's USC and UCLA volleyball team, you know, is flying to Rutgers, you know, for what what do they say? One of those trips from the West Coast to Rutgers is like Rutgers going to Iceland or something like that. So, yeah, the travel is going to be a little bit more difficult, but you can't pass up the money. You mentioned it's going to be close to a billion dollar. That's just the TV deal as far as money being split to to the different teams. So the money is going to be ridiculous but it opens up so many other questions about what happens to everybody else. And then certainly Jess, what happens mm-hmm. to our alma mater of the Notre Dame? The big question, Mike, of yeah. the day, what happens to Notre Dame? So you're obviously of a, a different generation where I think the independent 
you know, pride of Notre Dame maybe is like a little bit stronger than than like the students that were my age at Notre Dame. But I want to hear from your perspective, like, would you be disappointed or feel, you know, a little sad and upset if Notre Dame did actually finally join a conference in football? Zero sadness, zero upset. None. We were doing our, our, our family podcast, sorry in advance, and obviously our family, we all, you know, I went there, my wife went to St. Mary's, Mike and Jake played football at Notre Dame, Sydney swam at Notre Dame, and we asked the, that question as well. And not one of us, not one of us cared. Not not one bit. We, we No, because we care about Notre Dame. We don't care yeah. about it. Notre Dame and, and independent and being independent aren't mutually, you know, they, we don't have to, one has, doesn't have to be with the other, right? Yeah. We love Notre Dame and want, wants what's good for Notre Dame. And if it means being in a conference and not being independent, then be in a conference. I've said this all along anyway, that Notre Dame will stay independent as long as they can. And right now it still works especially if you expand the playoffs, they'll have an easier shot of making the playoffs as an independent. They wouldn't have one of the top seeds because that would go to conference champs, Mm -hmm. but they would have an easy shot of getting in. As long as they can do that and make their money, they'll stay independent. But if all of a sudden the money becomes ridiculous, and make no mistake, that's what these colleges look at, if it becomes ridiculous, then they have to think long and hard about it. Uh, to, to and it would be the Big Ten. Any anybody in the ACC who mm-hmm. thinks Notre Dame would join the, they're not going to join the ACC. Definitely not. If they wanted to join the ACC, they would have done it. They would three, have done it three years ago, I think, before they inked yep. the ESPN deal. And I'm exactly very glad they didn't. And I have to give credit to you know Jack Swarbrick and whoever else kind of saw that you know this going full in on the ACC wasn't a great long term solution because there's a couple things that are are have changed now, Mike. Like you mentioned. Um, now one of Notre Dame's biggest rivals is in the big 10. So if they do join the big 10, they'll be able to still schedule along the lines of what they've already been scheduling. You can still play USC. You can play, you know, your rivals in the big 10, Northwestern, Michigan, Michigan state, Purdue, Ohio state. I mean, think of the rivalries. Notre Dame could keep going there with either every year or every other year. Right. And it's, and it's access to the playoff. If Notre Dame were to join the ACC, like they did in, in 2020, the ACC just hasn't been a competitive football conference the way that the SEC or even the Big Ten has been. I mean, no. and like the Big Ten hasn't even been that great. And USC hasn't even been that great. I think this is like, you know, we're, we're as we talk about USC as being like a big boon for the Big Ten, it's not that they're a great football program right now. They haven't been for years. Right. It's a but great they're market. A, they're a big, a big brand and it's yeah. a big market. Yeah. And I think the Big Ten is smart in their acquiring two big brands. UCLA has men's basketball, which is huge. They, like I mentioned earlier, they have one of the best women's soccer team in the country. And like, obviously they don't care as much about right. women's sports and the non-revenue generating sports. But those are things that the Big Ten, I'm sure, looked at and, and saw as money-making opportunities. And same with you know USC. Obviously, they have you know legendary players there. They've won national championships. Um, I, I am one, one thing that does make me uh, gives me a, a tinge of sadness is like, what's going to happen to the Rose Bowl now? Yeah. Well, the Rose Bowl has been trying to hang on to be the Rose Bowl, but in, in the playoff edition, it's, it's a little bit tougher. And you just have to think everything's going to change. You know, yeah. and you just have to understand because, and, and the one thing I don't think will happen, Jess, I don't think the product on the field is going to be affected no. because listen, this isn't the first time teams have moved conferences. This has happened a bunch, you know, th- this has happened before. Now the magnitude of which is happening now is, is unprecedented, but I, I think people, I mean, people are always going to love their colleges. And even if you don't have the Texas Oklahoma rivalry at the big 10 to 12 anymore, they're over in the SEC. You know, you could still right. get Notre Dame and USC. But even if you say you even didn't, it's not like people are going to say, I'm done watching my college, no, my I, college team play. That That's never going to happen. I've seen some people say, say that sort of thing, like media members say that sort of thing. Like if there are two mega conferences and the what's left of the Big 12, what's left of the Pac-12 and, and the ACC, they kind of become like a second tier almost to the main right. two conferences, to the Big Ten and the SEC. Like eventually fans are just going to stop caring and they're not going to want to go to games because their team doesn't have a legitimate shot at a national championship. But if you're a fan of Washington State, or Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech or, you know, one of these – Georgia Tech's a bad example because they haven't been very good for a while. But, you know, one of these teams that's, like, 
they haven't really been in the running for a national championship for decades and they still play and they still have fans. Virginia Tech still sells out games. Like, is there that much of a difference? I think people are really connected to their, you know, their college football team regardless. And so I understand that point of view, but I I don't necessarily think that that will change. And I, I could be wrong, but I think people love college football no matter what. Look where we are now, Jess. I mean, we basically are talking about five or six teams each year right. for the playoffs, right? And then maybe can this one team sneak in? Iowa was undefeated last year. Can they make a run and actually get into the Final Four? Mm-hmm. Can a non-Power Five, you know, or, or, or uh, you know, uh, get in, which Cincinnati did. So you did see that. So you did see some new things. But what we don't know yet is how the playoff system is going to work. Even if you have two super conferences, will they be the only two right. teams involved? Only two conferences involved? in whatever the playoff will be, or is it still going to be open to 12 teams where the other conferences will be allowed to go? There, There's still too many unknowns, but I do think we are heading. And I remember having this battle with, with Trey Wingo and Gojo when we were doing a show together. They thought all five of the, of the big-time conferences, the Power Fives, were going to get together and separate. I said, that'll never happen because those five commissioners will never be able to cede power to one another, yeah. especially Greg Sankey. You think he's listening to anybody? Right. I mean, he, he's not. He's not. So a five are not going to do it. Two, you could you could see. Like we right. may maybe, see with the maybe, Big Ten and maybe, the SEC. Maybe four and the other two are not as strong, but they're larger. So it would be like the Big 12. And I there were reports that there were six Pac-12 teams that were considering joining the Big 12. And, and it was like Arizona. uh let me, hold on, let me look. I think it was BYU, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado. Arizona, was, Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and Utah. Yeah. So yeah, and BYU just already joined right. the Big already 12. Already joined the Big 12 with right, UCF, right, right. Houston, and Cincinnati. Right. So that already makes if, if well, hypothetically any of those Big 12 teams left, I think that would make the Big 12 a pretty good conference, not as good as the SEC or the Big 10, but like a a solid, you know, conglomerate. I agree, and that's the race right now, right? Because the if, and quite honestly, if in some now the Big Twelve better act quick, and it'll be interesting for Oregon and Washington, because they've also been mentioned with the Big Ten, but not just yet, right? So, if all of a sudden the Big Twelve comes to call into Oregon and Washington, do they go, or do they say, you know what, we're going to hold out because we think we may end up in the Big right. Ten? That's going to be interesting because right now it's a race for number three. What's going to be the third conference? We know it ain't going to be the Pac-12. They're as good as dead. Right. They, they were fifth out of five anyway, right? Yeah. So it's the ACC and the Big 12, and I'm with you. I lean to the Big 12, who they already got and who they can grab now over from, from the West. I think they're going to be the ones to build um, right. more than I mean, the and, ACC. And they can have a national footprint. You know, like they can have a team all the way in, in West Virginia and teams all the way in Arizona, yep. California, yep. Washington, whatever. So I don't know. I, and I think the ACC's, TV deal is just going to keep them from really growing at the rate that these other deals are going to be up in the next five years for the most part. And the ACC's has till 2036 with ESPN, which is like a year that I can't even fathom writing down on a piece of paper because it feels so far into the future. Obviously, Mike, we will blink and we'll be in 2036 and you and I will be doing a podcast with your, you know, 12 year old grandson. Done, but <laughs> it just feels like it's a far, far ways away from right now. So uh, the ACC is definitely in a weaker spot. And I think if you're a team like Oregon uh, and you're stuck in, you know, this like broken up Pac-12, like you, you probably, and especially if you're Notre Dame, like you probably still have some leverage because you're a national brand right. and you have, you know, big boosters. You have people that are going to desire you even though you kind of left on your back foot at this point and, and having to react to all of this, um, it's still probably not a, a terrible place to be. Where I would be concerned is if you're Miami, Florida State, or Clemson, right. and you are really good, but you're kind of locked into this deal, then I would be kind of worried because you don't want to get stuck, you know, not being able to grow at the same rate of these other schools that are now going to be getting like $100 million a season from their TV rights deal, and you're only getting like 40 or 50. Like the gap is just going to keep getting wider for you. You're really going to be testing the courts if it goes that far for teams that want to leave the ACC, including Notre Dame with all their other sports, not not football, obviously. 
uh, if you have to sue or go to court right. to get out of that deal, right? You're going to have to pay something, but the money, especially a place like Notre Dame, can make up on the other side. Uh, with, right, and Notre Dame tent. certainly needs the money because we've never yes. heard of, you know, their multi-billion dollar endowment. Yes. That's the other thing is, like, there was this report yesterday that UCLA – they're, they were in dire financial straits with their athletic department. And so this morning I was just like, UCLA endowment on Google. And it's like $5 billion. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even understand how money works. What does any of this mean? It, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Teams are going to get to where they want to go. It's just a matter of how much they have to pay. Do you think if this scenario, my, Chris, my wife brought this up. Do you think to try and entice Notre Dame to come to the Big Ten the Big Ten would pay some of the money that Notre Dame would have to pay the ACC. I think it's uh, definitely possible. I don't know the the legal ramifications yeah, of that, yeah. if there are any. But you kind, know, kind of like a coach's buyout when the school, when the right? Get together exactly. And, and yes. Pay, yeah, Speaking yeah. as someone who majored in television, uh, I mean, maybe I should I should know about legal contracts for for deals like this, but uh, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't. I think that could I could see that happening, or I could see. The difference being so high between what Notre Dame gets now and what they can make in even right. two years. Yeah, exactly. That they'll make just pay whatever fee and they don't give a shit because it's a yeah. long-term solution. And, and, you know, they don't want to be left looking short-sighted at like, oh, we're going to have to foot the, foot the bill for canceling this agreement. When, you know, if I think one of the lessons I've learned and watching sports is like, if you're rich, you can kind of do whatever you want. You yep. just have to pay for it. So. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you're rich, so you can pay for right. it. So, I mean, at the end of this, we know the landscape is changing immensely, but we're both Notre Dame people. I think Jack Swarbrick, the AD, has done a great job with foresight and patience and waiting for the right moment to do whatever's going to happen, whether it's stay right. independent or eventually, I think, join a conference. I think it's going to work out well for Notre Dame, which which Notre Dame has always been a leverage. And people that hate Notre Dame, listen, fine, you go ahead. You say they have all the rules made up for them, blah, 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 blah. Last I checked, the 13 people in the room, you know, um, aren't from Notre Dame who, who put them in the playoffs, okay? Right. So, you know, hate all you want. Uh, they're in a great position. They're in a leveraging position. And as I've always said, when you have the leverage hammer, you swing it as hard as you possibly can to benefit you. And I really hope that news doesn't break in like two hours that makes this entire conversation irrelevant because that's how quickly things have changed the last week. So if, if Notre Dame does join a conference in the next 24 hours, Mike, uh, we might have to just cut out everything we just said for the last Either that or we, we'll have to do an emergency podcast. Yeah, podcast emergency Bullock and Smitty. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need sustenance, so you're going to have to bake me something. If you're All right, I can do that. that. I can yeah, do that. And, and don't make it gluten-free, please. No gluten-free? Mm. I'll decide later. Uh, you you just won't tell me, will you? I won't tell you. You would never know. You are that is the true. Friends. I wouldn't know. I am. I am that dumb. <laughs>